The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, Episode 76. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make yourself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV, series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Voyager episode, Eye of the Tiger. I mean, Eye of the Needle. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I'm an 80s kid. Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. People, uh, folks, people. (laughs) I don't know why I said people. Folks, remember people to like the secrets. They both people are pe- Yes, they're both. Uh, people are folks. Remember <laughs> to like the secrets of Star Trek on Facebook, where we're facebook.com slash StarQuest Media. And uh, please retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN, and leave comments. All those, uh, all that engagement, that, all that, that social media jargon we use, uh, juices the algorithms and makes sure that people who've actually asked to see our content get to see our content on the various social networks. So we really do appreciate that. Plus, we love having this interaction with you. So we would really appreciate hearing from you in those ways. So we're talking about Star Trek Voyager. The, we're still in the first season, and we're talking about this next episode called Eye of the Needle, where we're dealing with yet another spatial anomaly. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this at case, least, At least the Voyager doesn't have to crash through at this time. Yes, yes. Exactly. It's not stuck inside it. <laughs> Although something does get stuck inside. But uh, so basically, uh, in brief, in one sentence, Voyager makes contact with a Romulan ship through a wormhole that leads back to the Alpha Quadrant. Yeah. The question the episode asks is, imagine if the only possible way home was trying to convince someone who doesn't trust you to trust you about something completely improbable. And that's really Mm. what's at the crux of this story. Yeah. This is one of the better first season Voyager episodes, to my mind. It may be the best. Yes. It certainly has fewer of the flaws that first season Voyager tends to. It's more interesting. It's more character involved. There are, you know, real emotional stakes here. And it plays out in stages that are, it's, it's nicely done. I mean, it's not great, but it's not bad either. And so that makes it Good by relative standards for first season Voyager. Is it a coincidence that this one doesn't include any of uh, first season Neelix's awkwardness? Neelix. Yeah, that probably exactly. helps. Uh, I, I I like Neelix in later seasons, but this first season Neelix is really uh, hard to swallow. Uh, yeah, it, you didn't have the Neelix awkwardness, but you did have the eager puppy Harry Kim. Yes. Oh, you did. the eager puppy Cass is even worse to my mind. <laughs> yeah, but we'll true. talk about that. Yep. <laughs> One thing. So initially, they make contact with this. They find this wormhole, 
And one of the things that they've established in Star Trek is that there are almost no stable wormholes. The only stable wormhole known to exist is the, the one at Bajor. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's only stable because the prophets are running it. Other wormholes, one end or the other will drift or they'll cease to exist or things like that. So they find this wormhole and Tuvok points out that, you know, there's only a one in four chance it's going to go to the Alpha Quadrant. I have a problem with that logic, by the way. Well, I was going to (laughs) say, as opposed to anywhere else in the universe, the odds are a lot less than one in four. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I was going to say there's... Given the vast distances involved, even if we just say it's 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 uh, just going to go somewhere in the galaxy, you know, isn't ending up on the far side of the Alpha Quadrant just as bad? Like, still would be years and years and years away. Yeah, but it might not be seventy. It also might just go <laughs> part way to the Alpha Quadrant. But anytime, right. I mean, anytime you find a wormhole, if you're trying to get home, you want to know where it goes and how right. clo- how much closer or farther it's right. going to take you. Right, because there's a chance it could take you further away. <laughs> Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, there's, in theory, there could be the chance that it could go to the Andromeda galaxy. I mean, right. Yeah. They, they also, and I'm going to nitpick here some. They have, um, they, they describe this wormhole as being virtually microscopic because it's only 30 centimeters across. And it's like (laughs) 30 centimeters is a foot. Yeah. On what scale is that virtually microscopic? I mean, you virtual to the universe or the ship, I guess. But everything is on that. So, and then they have they send out because it's virtually microscopic. They send out a micro probe, not just a probe, but a micro probe, which then gets stuck in it. Now, did did anybody else think that they missed an opportunity to name the micro probe the camel? The no, that would be good. Yeah, on the eye. <laughs> and they could name the 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 uh, the uh, wormhole the eye of the needle, which is actually a better name than Harry Kim's wormhole, which Tom <laughs> yeah. Harris proposes. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's and, an unfortunate and, name. <laughs> and and from the unusual size of the wormhole, Janeway postulates that we're seeing a wormhole in an advanced state of decay that it's been collapsing for centuries. In which mm-hmm. case, how is it not stable? It seems to have been stable over centuries. Right. Right. Uh, also, it, it, you can tell it's old because it's wrinkly. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So one of the things is, you know, it, it's just their luck to find the smallest wormhole ever. I mean, that's just Voyager's b- bad luck. It's a bad luck ship. Um, one, of the, one of the things I want to point out, is, g- given that, you know, we're talking about the script here in, in the writing, is I, I, I didn't mention at the top. But this is uh, the first screenplay written by the executive producer for the show, Jerry Taylor, that she's mm-hmm. written on her own. She's she's you know chimed in on a couple of previous ones. Uh, so I, I, I did want to mention that, and that that's one of the reasons I think why this one is better than others have been. Um, yeah. Jerry Taylor, incidentally, was a really good addition to the Star Trek staff when she came in. She had, un- mm-hmm. unlike the previous people who'd been overseeing the writers, Jerry reportedly had a very nurturing attitude towards them and made them feel valued and really helped them grow as writers in a way previous producers had not. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Uh, she, she, um, she. I think she worked on Next Gen as well. Right? Yes, yeah. Yep. That's when she came in. Okay. Next Gen DS Nine, uh, and, and the story itself came from a Hillary Bader who was involved in the DS Nine rules of acquisition and a bunch of yeah. other. 
She was an intern. She started as an intern on DS9, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've heard it said that uh, Star Trek did more to nurture young talent or unknown talent than than most other shows out there. So, oh yeah, most shows will not look at your. Most shows do not take unsolicited scripts and pitches, and yeah. and Star Trek did, and yeah. it mm-hmm. launched the careers of bunches of writers as a result. You know, one thing I I want to throw at the top is because we we know what they 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 connect with a Romulan ship on the other side. Was it a mistake to feature a connection with an Alpha Quadrant race so early to kind of rely? Star Trek has tended to do this thing where at the at the beginning of each of the new series, after original series, of course, they 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 have this tendency to want to reach back and pull something from the older series in order to remind you of the connection with that older series. And this is in a way doing that, like oh, we need this Alpha Quadrant, you know, enemy that we that we're going to pull forward. Did it I work? Think, I don't think it was a mistake. Okay. Um, it's it's actually when they're first in the Delta Quadrant and the separation anxiety is at its mm-hmm. greatest, that it's going to have the most emotional impact to have some kind right. of fleeting contact with the Alpha Quadrant. If we waited okay. until season two or three. They would have adapted to life in the Delta Quadrant much more. If you're going to tell this story, I think first season is actually a good time to do it. There is a part of the end of this episode that I don't like relating mm-hmm. to that, but in general, yeah, I agree that the idea of that they did make contact with someone from the Alpha Quadrant and to okay. give that little bit of hope, even if, again, if it did lead to the Harry Kim as eager puppy syndrome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when they find this wormhole, they initially, you know, they send in the microprobe and then it gets stuck and they then determine that someone from the other end of the wormhole is scanning them, is scanning the probe. And through the probe, they're able to establish apparently first a text link and then a voice link and finally a, uh, then a video link and finally a transporter link. Mm-hmm. So we have the show kind of stayed in stages as the amount of contact they're able to make gets bigger and bigger. And initially, once they establish, I mean, they've had the text link, then they get the voice link. And so Janeway is talking to the Romulan commander and is saying, can you please send messages for us? We've all lost people. Uh, my crew is not big. Can we please record brief messages for our family and friends? And can you send them to Starfleet? Because it would take years for them to get there via subspace. And this kind of points to something that I think, unless I'm not remembering something, this is sort of a flaw to me, because it's entirely understandable what she does in this episode and say, okay, now we seem to have a real-time connection, Mm -hmm. so let's send those messages. But they should have been sending these messages all along. They should have the first thing, once they are in the Delta Quadrant, they right. should have said, okay, it's going to take us 70 years to get back. It's going to take five years, let's say, right. to send a, re- a message to the Alpha Quadrant and get a reply by subspace. So let's send that message now. Let's right. let them know we survived. We're here in the Delta Quadrant. Here's our location. Here's where, here's where we're coming from. Here's our status. Here's a list of everybody who's alive. And here are their messages for their family and friends, mm-hmm. even though they're not going to get there for two and a half years. And then they should be sending a status report every single week. Right. Because as they discover new stuff in the Delta Quadrant, 
Starfleet needs to know about that. They don't right. want to risk saving all of the knowledge on the ship in case it blows up halfway back. They should be notifying them of every new discovery <laughs> they make. Right. And then come season five, we get the first reply from Starfleet. We got your message via subspace. You sent it five, two and a half years ago, five years ago by the time you received this. And here are dramatic developments in the Federation you don't know about. And, right. and oh, by the way, as they're moving closer to the Alpha Quadrant, those messages will come quicker. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that is a flaw in this, is that this idea that they're not trying to communicate at all. But uh, I, I suppose it just ups the drama. One thing I want to point out is they get the pro they shoot the probe in and it gets stuck in a gravitational eddy. And Father Corey, as you know, like I know, when you get stuck, you have to rock it back and forth until yeah. you get loose. Mm -hmm. You know, and you got to goose the gas a little. Yeah. Um, if you're stuck in, well, I, at least it works with snow. I don't know about the yeah. You know, I was going to say, you know, in the gravitational eddy that we've got sitting outside, <laughs> six inches of it, we got over the weekend. Uh, yeah. If you get stuck in snow, you don't just let it sit there until your car bogs down. You try to rock it out, and sometimes right. you can't, and that's why we have tow trucks. So, uh, so uh, uh, seriously, back to the the show. Uh, that we have our B plot, which is uh, the doctor, who is the the EMH, is uh, in sick bay, and we we start off with him treating he's treating a crewman who's injured, and the who's crewman rude. yeah who treats the doctor as if he isn't even there and t only talks to Cass, whereas Cass treats the doctor like he's real, and we have this throughout the episode where Cass goes to the doctor, I'm sorry, goes to the captain, and she makes the case that because he's a hologram, um. Even even though he's a hologram, he should be treated with respect and consideration uh, that he's alive. And meanwhile, Janeway says, well, actually, we were thinking of reprogramming him because his personality sucks. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the way she said I've been hearing the opposite side of this discussion. People have been complaining that he's rude, arrogant, and abrasive. Yeah, and, and yeah. Kess's advocacy for the doctor sort of, you know, gets the, the captain to start thinking about it. She was thinking of the EMH as a piece of equipment, and Kess wasn't. Uh, and well, and and this is really something I don't so the the guy who keeps injuring himself while he's exercising is a is is comes off as a jerk but mm -hmm. I'm sorry data is a toaster and <laughs> yeah. and the doctor is a virtual assistant and it's like Janeway should have sat down with Cass and said Cass I'm sorry but you're becoming overly emotionally attached to your iPhone. Siri is not a real person. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, should should we be asking, so Google, would you like this? Would you like, yeah. you know, would you like to uh, be able to turn yourself on and off at will? Would you like to, you know, be able to leave the house on your own? Uh, Father Corey, Google does turn itself on and off at will. You just don't I know, know it. <laughs> yeah. Hey. This is another thing. I mean, the, the whole idea of... the. One of the tussles the doctor has is over being left on when he doesn't want to be on or being turned off when he doesn't want to be turned off. It's like, guys, my iPhone has settings that let me control that right now. I can tell it never turn off. I can tell it turn off after this <laughs> amount of time if you're not being used. I mean, this this should have been solved already in 24th century technology. Right. And the doctor, you know, by the end of this, the doctor you know, finally... Decide. Oh, oh, oh. And if there's an emergency, my phone can wake up. You know, they have those yes. notifications and stuff. Yeah. So we already got this one licked. Yeah, yeah. They apparently forgot by the 24th century. So the, the, we resolve this by the same officer ending up in sickbay again with another injury and the doctor telling him off and, tell you know, you, you, I'm going to put you on report. And 
you know, uh, yeah, if, if if you keep injuring yourself at work, I'm going to have to talk to your supervisor about it. It's like, ooh, SmackDown. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and then we end with the doctor requesting a name, which he never gets. He, Fortunately. He, yes. No, he gets it for one episode, but then it was a hologram that he fell in love with, and so he never told right. anybody who what it was. Well, he gets what's like, over time, he, like, we try on different ones at different moments. Yeah. It, and then, in fact, he... Uh, the the one where we see the future where they've after they've got back home you know mm-hmm. um that's the one where he's uh was he Doctor Schweitzer or something like that is that when he's where he's decided to be Schweitzer I, I forget if that's Schweitzer no, I, I think that's the one where it was the the holographic Viking chick that he fell in love with and <laughs> yeah that's right that's right yeah it, it, it's it's interesting that they bring it up here but that never it never actually gets resolved he's always just the doctor the only, only thing I, I like about that whole plot line is the fact is this is really where they start developing the doctor as a character yes i mean this is really where in the series he actually starts developing as a character and not just as a virtual assistant yes and of course that leads to some actually really good episodes much later down the road but we're not mm-hmm. there yet yes yeah <laughs> we're not there yet at all well, something else that comes up is that you know Harry is working with Bellana on this problem of the communications, and he he gets very concerned that Bellana has doesn't have anyone back home who's missing her. And we actually get a lot of Bellana's backstory here, where her her father was a human, her mother was Klingon. They they split up early. She hasn't seen her either of her parents in many years. Doesn't even know where they are for sure. Thinks her mom is right. on the Klingon homeworld, maybe. Right. Yep. Right. And that's an interesting. Interesting, a little bit of character development where, you know, frankly, Bellana, you know, she gets, we kind of established if she gets back to the Alpha Quadrant or not, it really is not different for her. She's, she's with the people that she knows, you know, and that's uh, interesting. She still can't go to Disneyland, though. No. <laughs> not with, not with the replicator ra- hologram rations they must have. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, the, the, I noticed one of the things I noticed was how much Trekno babble we get in this, so much like pseudoscientific oh, stuff. That mm-hmm. is is thrown around lots and lots of lines with just it like a um a wall of it almost. So let's get back to this to the to the plot though, which is that the the guy on the other side of the wormhole that they've contacted doesn't believe they're in the Delta Quadrant. They're not they're not sure who he is yet, right off the bat. They they don't know there's a Romulan, but he yeah. doesn't believe them when they say they're in the Delta Quadrant. Which you know this this is a little bit like it's the middle of the Cold War. Things are really tense with the Russians. There's a Russian sub-commander. He gets a radio transmission saying, help, we're an American Navy ship, and we're stuck on Mars. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yes, that, that, that's a, a good way of putting it. Yeah, it, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't believe him either. Um, it turns out it's a Romulan scientist who may or may not be conducting some secret research. Uh, Would or... explain why he's probing the probe. Yes. Yep. There's one weakness, though, with this re- re- revelation about the science ship. You know, he calls it that he's a cargo ship. That's what he says. You know, he's, he's right. hauling cargo. And then they, the Voyager's crew surmises that he's science. And then when Janeway actually says, well, I know you're a scientist, science ship, blah, 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 blah. And the guy doesn't make any objection to that whatsoever. He doesn't say, no, 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 I'm really a cargo ship. We're, we're really not science. This is cargo. <laughs> we're hauling cargo. Lots of cargo. You know? Yeah. Man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, he's a cargo ship captain scanning wormholes. Uh, it's also intri- he's been in space for a year and is going to be in space for another year at least before he gets mm-hmm. home so this is some kind of long-term mission he's on and it seems like he's on a one-man ship 
Mm-hmm. Right. He not he's the only person we see, including when we see him on the bridge, and he's the he volunteers, even though he's the captain, he's the one who volunteers to beam over um once right. they get the transporter link set up. And so it seems like he's the only guy there. Yeah. Which is kind of odd for a science mission on a right. ship. So there's this scene where he's cut them off because he thinks they're lying to him, and then they finally get him back on the comms. In the middle of the night, apparently, where Janeway's asleep. And we get this scene of Janeway talking to him in her nightgown. Does that does that seem a little like an odd like were they trying to do something there? Were they trying to make like Captain Janeway into, you know, uh you know, nerdy sex symbols of some sort? What do you think? Uh, Oh, I don't I don't think so. That's just continuing a a trend with Star Trek because I know at least in uh, next generation and DS9 there were scenes where the captains are in their pajamas. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Yeah, I, I suppose. Yeah. I, I think it's really an illustration that the the crew and especially the captain has to be ready to take the 3 a.m. phone call. Right. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, he thinks Jamie's a spy, by the way, at this point. And so he, she kind of points out the, the, the lack of logic in, in, in that uh, conclusion. But she asks him to convey messages from the crew to their families, and he wants to wait for you know his superiors to give the okay, you know, yeah. Which, pay this Romulan Senate has to approve. Wow, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that's some bureaucracy they get there uh, in the Romulan Empire. But she convinces him, and then this is when you know now that they've got him to agree to take the the messages. This is when uh, Torres says, "I think I might actually have something even better. We might be able to piggyback a transporter beam on the comlink." And, and that's the moment where you know the episode is doomed because right. that this is a this is an early first season episode. There's no way the crew is beaming back to the Alpha Quadrant this early in the series. Yeah. This is not by J. Michael Straczynski, right. where he fakes you out thinking the series is about one thing and then it's something else. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this is the moment where you know that even though Janeway is wistfully thinking about beaming back home to the Alpha Quadrant. That ain't never going to happen. Things are going to go horribly wrong. I yep. wonder, would they have self-destructed the vo- Voyager instead of leaving it for someone uh, oh, to get? Oh, I'm sure they would yeah. have scuttled. Yeah. Yeah. But then they'd be stuck. Like, even if it turns out it was the right time, spoilers alert, uh, but, yeah. know, they'd be on a Romulan ship in the in the Alpha yep. Quadrant behind, yep. uh, quote unquote, enemy lines. Uh, I mean, they'd be back in the Alpha Quadrant, but they might not be any better off. Than yeah, they yeah. Well, it might still take just as long to get home. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, well, yeah. Although, you know, if if you had Russian, you know, think about it in a Cold War analogy. If you if you had had an American ship that was in distress and a Russian crew rescued them, they would mm-hmm. be repatriated. I mean, unless they were covert spies or something, which well, the, and- they weren't. But they would be repatriated, and the Russians would trumpet it as yeah. a great propaganda victory. Uh, r- capable Russians well, help helpless Americans. Well, there was there was something like that actually happened at the end of World War II. I think it was that the B twenty five bomber was one of them landed in Russia after bombing in Japan, and the Russians were very happy to send the troops back, yeah. sent sent the the crew back, and kept the plane and tore the thing down and. <laughs> duplicated it down to missing rivets and made uh, their own bombers out of it before they yeah. sent the original back. Yeah. That, so it might have been the Doolittle raid uh, even uh, mm-hmm. but yeah. I don't think it was I don't think it was part oh, it was of after that, that mission, but oh, okay. yeah, it was it was a bombing mission nonetheless. So w- we have another scene with Cass and the doctor. Cass is learning how, you know, learning to become a nurse or a medic and she's 
apparently preternaturally gifted in this area. I think it's probably not just this area. If you think about the fact Ocampans only live for seven years and they're a technological society, they must Mm -hmm. be freakishly fast learners. That's true. Yeah, that's true. So she says something about how she enjoys studying anatomy and would like to see an autopsy sometime. The way she says that is really disturbing. It, yeah. it is. I mean, she initially, early on, I wanted to comment on this. Early on, she says she wants more than first aid training. She wants to study anatomy. So he gives her some pads. Like, you can't just read whatever book on whatever pad you want. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Love that. that's a Star Trek thing. I love that. Like, we have to have multiple pads. It's like we have yeah. multiple pieces of paper. Well, you know, and what's and, so funny is they, they never foresaw the advent of the iPad. Right. You know, because yeah. with the iPad, oh, I want to read another book. Hit back, hit library, grab the book, next book. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) exactly. But then when she comes back in, having read the books, she has this, and this is true, not a lot of Kess's line delivery in this episode is, I don't know if the director told it to to do it this way or what, but a lot of her line delivery is sexy, suggestive, like she's flirting at the doctor. Yes. And and she comes back and says, and so I don't know if they were thinking about maybe having a romantic triangle with her and Neelix and the doctor. But when she comes back from having read the book, she says, I enjoyed studying anatomy. <laughs> and and it's just so suggestive. And then she says, it would be interesting to see an autopsy sometime. And it's like, yeah. Whoa! Are well, we thinking necrophilia here? Or I just thought it was just creepy. Like I, I would love to t- take take a body apart. Like, um, yeah, yeah, it's just kind of creepy. Well, well, and then they continue the whole you know suggestive thing by when they think that everybody's going to be beaming off the ship. She gives him a smooch on the cheek, and it's like, what? Well, I think this from? is really the beginning of that. There's a there's an ongoing thread from this point where. You know, Neelix is jealous of, well, first he was jealous of, of Paris, Paris, and then he'll, now mm-hmm. he'll be jealous of the doctor, and because the doctor is going to have a crush on Cass. Uh, yep. And then later on, the doctor will have a crush on Seven, because the doctor apparently... Because Seven has, replaces Cass. Right. Exactly. And the doctor apparently has been programmed to have crushes on uh, uh, pretty girls or something, but it's just you know, very strange. But I think this is the root of that, uh, eventually, this it development is. in the characters. So... That I want to mention that other part where the where it comes up that if they all beam off over to the Romulan ship, well, they can't take the EMH. He's stuck. He'll be mm-hmm. left behind and presumably destroyed in the, when the ship is destroyed. Uh, because Although they 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 skate past that because he just has to be turned off. Right. And the given that he's com- been complaining in this episode about being left on when he has nothing to do. The implication mm-hmm. is he would be alone forever in the ship with nothing to do. Ugh. They would put and, the ship on autopilot back to the Alpha Quadrant and right. it gets there eventually. And then Maybe. Erosion ca- capture it. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, exactly. I, that's the <laughs> or real, the Borg. What, the real world thing is you don't leave this advanced level of technology in a quadrant where nobody has it. Yeah. You blow it up. Yeah. The in, in fact, um, we we still we run into the problem once again that they can't download things. <laughs> you know they can't yeah. download copies of things. They we can only uh, move things, move files from one st- storage medium to another computer storage medium. And so for some reason the doctor is so fully his software is so fully integrated that you can't download the copy of the software. He must be in firmware or something. I don't know. And and and, and it's like okay. He's a virtual assistant. Yeah. Right. Who cares? 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, someone may have, have altered his settings and just tweaked their preferences on the doctor, which apparently they haven't. He's just right out of the box. Yeah. But at most, if, okay, if I'm really super attached to Siri, which I shouldn't be, yeah, I'm sure I can download a file somehow that has my Siri mods in it that I could apply to a new Siri. <laughs> well, is Paris going to download Sandrine's? I mean, the the fact is, is that it's so early. Like, the, like I I could get it if it were later in the series, like the, the, in a couple seasons, they become attached to the Doctor. He's developed a particular personality. He they feel he's part of the crew that he's different from an out of the box EMH. Okay, I get it. But at this point, he's still pretty much a stock emh you know yeah. well, he's and, and installed the, on the every only, ship the only thing valuable about him is what he's learned about medicine since he was booted and that should all be in his medical files anyway and those are right. downloadable right right well and of course they you know they, they've shown in like ds9 that you can copy hologram programs and pass them around right apparently except for vic because you have actual hologram authors who are making these holograms that are then being sent off to ships and space stations and everything else yeah so yeah it's it's a huge it's a huge hole in in that they've created for themselves by creating the doctor the way they have and they wanted to have this dramatic limitation but it just mm -hmm. doesn't hold up when you think about it more than a little bit unfortunately so uh, we have this whole thing where we're beaming test modules, and then they want to beam someone over, but they but then they end up beaming the Romulan. The Romulan says, you can't beam over to my ship. It would go in the logs, and I'd get in big trouble. So um, I'll beam over to yours. And that's when Tuvok discovers that part of the pr problems they've been having with the communication is that the wormhole travels not just through space, but through time. And it is the uh, Telek, which is the Romulan's name, is from 20 years in their past. I thought his name was Telek Ramor. Uh, Telek Ramor is his first name, oh. last name. Telek is his Oh, okay. Name. I heard it as one. Tell to his friends, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so a couple of other aspects of this is he's, so once he says the Romulan whatever will never allow Starfleet officers on this secret cargo ship science vessel. Yeah. <laughs> Janeway is all, well, then how are we going to get back? And he's like, oh, I'll just call up a troop ship and that'll have more than enough room for you. But there's a ticking clock because this ancient decaying wormhole that's been here for centuries is going to collapse within 48 hours. So yeah. he, they've got to work all this out in that amount of time. Right. Yeah. And, and, and there's, so there's a troop ship within, you know, I mean, the Romulans must have troop ships everywhere, I guess. Well, they move at the speed of plot. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So um, so they realize now that they can't beam over, because if they beam over, they'll be 20 years in the past. So they're back to the messages. Uh, let's talk about why, because Harry Kim says, let's go. Yeah. We could just go hang out somewhere for 20 years until it's time, you know? Yeah. And Janeway says, okay, that would pollute the... T so here's one of the reasons. That would totally pollute the timeline. Right. In all kinds of ways. Legitimate. And so Telek, or whatever his name is, says, well, I could alert Starfleet not to launch your mission in 20 years' time. Yeah. And Chakotay pipes up with, yeah, but we've already had a big impact on the Delta Quadrant, and if we alter the timeline again, it would be bad. So we just, either we can't ignore all the people we've helped, or he could be thinking, that would still pollute the timeline in a substantial way if if we never take this mission. Right. 
what nobody says, surprisingly, to my mind, is if we go back 20 years into the past in Romulan hands, they're not going to announce our rescue as a great propaganda triumph. They're going to vanish us and interview us for 20 years, pumping every bit of knowledge we have about the future and things they aren't aware of. That they're never going to let us go if we go back. Not just technology, but events and people yeah. and dispositions of fleets and te- yep. yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> and yeah, grab as much off the computers from Voyager as they can before it's scuttled. And yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, yeah, they, I think they're too polite to say that in front of Telek. We're more there. Uh, you know, one one thing that kind of surprised me though, but I I I think they they must the writers must not have developed it yet at this point is the temporal prime directive. Of course, you hear that all. You hear that in DS Nine. You heard it later Voyager seasons. But yeah. I don't think by this point they had, in any of the series had they actually developed that idea of a temporal prime directive. It was still sort of implicit. Like it was implicit, um, but they never actually used those words like they would in right. later seasons. Right. Yeah. There, so there's in, that, in, yeah. In time travel stories, we did have moments of you know we can't. I mean, that was the whole point of the city on the edge of forever. Edith Keeler has to die for history mm-hmm. to go right. Right. There's that great episode in DS9 where the uh, temporal prime directive uh, investigation is carried out. Because, oh, yeah. the, the, the Tribbles one. Trials they, and Tribulations. Trials and Tribulations, yep. yeah. It's a great episode. Um, so uh, they're back to giving Telek Ramor the, their, their messages that he will promise to deliver in 20 years after uh, the, the ship is gone. No, it, no one also uh, brings up the fact that, uh, will Starfleet even believe this? <laughs> Romulan, who's telling them not to send the mission, by the way, like but if the yeah. first proposal. So Romulan's going to show up and say, oh, don't send Voyager on this mission because it's, something bad's going to happen. Um, why should we believe you? Like, this is really strange. Well, yeah. if he if he shows up out of nowhere with knowledge of this ship and this mission, that of itself, Lynn, so I was like, how would he know this if he hadn't got the message he claimed? Right. So right. I'm sure there would be a debate. Do we believe him or not? But I wouldn't dismiss it out of hand. And I'm they sure might if they had chosen to go that way, there were things that the Voyager crew could give him that would be proof. Right. Yeah, yeah. that's true. That's true. So they give him the messages. Um, but- and, by, uh, by the way, yep. notice when they've been beaming these test cylinders back and forth to make sure the transporter works, it's not until Telecromore himself shows up that Tuvok discovers the phase variance that they've been having trouble with all this time is because mm-hmm. of a time discrepancy. Right. It's like, why didn't you detect this with the cylinders? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so it's only after Telecromore is beamed back to his ship and is gone um, that Tuvok the Buzzkill <laughs> reveals that, uh, by the way, I checked the computer's database and found out that Telecromore died four years ago from their point of view and that their messages never got delivered. And they can only hope that he left a will and instructions or something. Or that the Romulan government will send them on or something. And this, right. It, it, I hated initi- this part. I hated this. Yeah. Yeah. I- initially, they're way too down on he died, so our messages are never sent. And it's like, Dude, he he could have sent. Even today, we can schedule emails. Yeah, right. I mean, I, mean, I would have a reminder in my AI assistant system <laughs> to tell me in twenty years because I'm gonna have forgotten by then. Right, and and I've probably just said, "Hey, uh, you know, Siri, why don't you just send those messages in twenty years?" Right, or maybe I send them today and let Starfleet 
keep them encrypted for 20 years or something. Please right. don't open for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> or kind of, kind of like Back to the Future. Back to the, the movie Back to the Future 2, where he sent, has an envelope sent from 1800s to 1955. Right. Yeah. Or, 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 or even if he sent them in plain text to Starfleet, Starfleet's going to keep them secret because they don't want to pollute the timeline either. Right. Yeah, no, oh, just, you know, the, we, we've seen this in other, we've seen this in Doctor Who, you give it to a lawyer, you know, whose firm is going to be around, you know, there's various ways of getting around that problem. It just, I, uh, I, I felt this entire scene was absolutely unnecessary. You know, why not leave them with the hope that his message actually had gone? Right. Why, yeah, why, why dash their hopes? That's a good question. Why make that dramatic choice? Of dashing their because it would it, it would have changed absolutely nothing of the series except the idea of they know we're out here they might know mm-hmm. we're out here yeah. yeah right they should you know yeah so I mean it's that just that I, I I felt that was a bad choice for the to end the episode on I really do mm, that's interesting yeah I mean I'd love to hear from people who think it was a good choice that that, that it would have been a uh, that it's it's a better choice than than the way you mentioned Father Corey because uh, uh I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it would have been nice to have the satisfaction that you know they probably know we're out here now. Yeah, and to deliberately take that away. I mean, there is drama in that, but in order to get to that drama, they do it in this stupid and elegant way, where the listener, the viewer, can instantly think of multiple ways that the messages could still get through, and so they end with this note of ambiguity of "We'll never know if they got through or not." And yeah. I mean, it's, it's not it, like he had a, too a wife, and not like he didn't have a wife and daughter or anything like that who could still have been alive. I mean, silly things like that. Right. Yeah. Right. So uh, um, and yeah. And, also think about it. I mean, so you're a Cold War guy and on a Soviet ship, and you get a message from a bunch of Navy guy, American Navy guys who are on Mars. And you beam over to Mars, and then you beam back, and you have all these messages from them. Those are going to vanish down a hole? I mean, there's going to be reports out the wazoo about this in Romulan archives. Right. And that means those messages are going to be remembered. He's not going to keep all this to himself. Stored somewhere. And so somebody is going to, in 20 years' time, even for purely selfish reasons, say, oh, Hey, Federation, we learned something interesting 20 years ago you might want to know about. Let's yeah. make a deal. Right, right, exactly. Well, I mean, to be fair, they did, get, they did give him a 20-year-in-advance USB key, so I mean... There's <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of technology there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, to be fair, also, with this episode, one of the reasons it's a better episode than others, they do not end by standing around consoles on the bridge pontificating. Yep. Uh, the episode ends in sickbay. Where uh, guess who's back? It's uh, Lieutenant Baxter uh, once again with a new uh, hamstring thing. He's been working out again and pulled his hammy. And as you mentioned, J- uh, Jimmy, that uh, this is when the doctor tells him off about he's going to put him on report. And uh, and this time he's sir, yes sir, thank you sir to the doctor and treats mm-hmm. him like oh I'm I you know uh, you're an actual person. And uh, and this is when the the doctor says I must think of myself as a member of the crew now, and uh, I I'd like a name and. That's how we end it, with him asking yeah. for his name. Science fiction proved long ago that you can have a series with a character who's a major character that is just known as the Doctor, and it's totally <laughs> exactly. fine. Exactly. And it works. Yes, exactly. Uh, all right. So uh, anything left to say about this episode? Any uh, other just notes? one quick thing. Um, 
uh, the the Romulan Telek was played by Von Armstrong, who was uh, later plays Admiral Forrest on Enterprise. Right, hmm. right, right. That Admiral Forrest. I knew that he looked familiar under all that makeup. Hmm. Um, Spatial genetic multiplicity. Exactly. <laughs> yes, it, Star Trek has it too. Yes. Uh, Jimmy, uh, what about you? Anything left to say? I'm, I'm good. Okay. So uh, before we finish out, I do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Jeffrey F., Catherine M., Kim L., Laura M., and Matthew B. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to take a moment to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the podcast every week. Hey. We really appreciate it. Yeah. He does a wonderful job, and we're going to uh, note every week. We want to thank him uh, for his work uh, purely, purely out of the goodness of his heart, uh, so we really do appreciate that. So that's it from us. What did you think of Eye of the Needle, this Voyager episode? Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Enterprise episode, The Endorian Incident, which I think is one of the, the better uh, episodes of the first season, at least according yes. to my recollection. We'll see how what I think after I've rewatched it. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember to look up a line to put here when I do this next time, because I totally forgot. <laughs> you can just send yourself the message in 20 years. That's what I'll do. I will go back 20 years and send this message. Thanks for listening. 